0: Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Osman, here with my friend in Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masach P'sachim, daf pey tet, page 89. The Gemara is in the middle of an interesting discussion where you have five people whose korban pesachs got mixed up with each other. And they discovered later on that one of the hides had a blemish on it, had some sort of moon that actually would have disqualified that animal from being a kosher korban pesach. And they sort of need to figure out what to do, because in other words, four of the Pesachs are valid. One of the Pesachs is not valid. And how do you solve this problem? In other words, someone's going to have to bring a Korban and Pesach Sheni or something like that. And so one of the solutions that they come up with is to have a Kohen join their group and sort of say like, I'm bringing, uh, sorry, have a Kohen join their group for the Pesach Sheni and say either this is a Pesach or it's a Shlamim. And that's because you, they couldn't just bring a Shlomim because there's a particular part of the Shlomim that the coin has to eat. Um, and the Gemara uh, sort of ends up you know, rejecting the idea that five owners could basically you know, designate some type of offering and say that it's either a Pesach or it's a, um, a Shlomim. And then the Gemara asks the following interesting question. So it says, Elamishun <laughs> d'kami right? Maybe you can't do this approach, right? That each owner would, you know, uh, you know, that they would do this thing where either it's a Shlomim or it's a Pesach, because you're lessening the amount of time that there is to eat the Korban Shlomim. Because a Korban Pesach can only be eaten one day and one night have passed. But a Shlomim, actually, you get two days and one night. So you're sort of not allowing the shlumim to be consumed over the full period of time that it could normally be consumed, and then the gemara introduces an interesting concept that we haven't seen before, right? The the nate moter HaPesach, right? And so they, um, right? They bring this thing. Maybe they should bring a residual pesach. That's sort of how the English translation, it's, you know, says it, the nema. And then they would say, e d d baumum. If my original pesach was blemish, then this animal which I'm bringing now is going to be the Korban Pesach for me. tamu, But if my original offering was pure, right? It didn't have any type of blemish. Then this, ant- this animal that I'm bringing now is a Shlomim. And then this should be okay because the residual Pesach, right, could only really be eaten for one day and one night. Now, I was very taken by this because we have not seen this concept of a residual Pesach. And the idea of what this is is that each owner would sort of take some unconsecrated animal from before and says that either this is a regular Pesach or it's sort of a residual Pesach. And what the residual Pesach is is that it's a korban that's designated as a Pesach but it can't really serve as one anymore. So let's say you lost your korban Pesach and you didn't find it until you shechted the substitute. That original offering basically becomes a residual Pesach because in other words, you can't really use that offering um, any, anymore. And sort of the idea is that the residual Pesach was never really uh, a regular Pesach in the first place. And so here, this residual Pesach would really become a shlomim, but it sort of resembles the regular Pesach in that it can't be eaten, you know, any more than one day and one night the way that a regular Pesach would. So I, again, I thought this was interesting that this concept of residual Pesach did not turn up until, uh, again, we're on page 89, <laughs> right? Petet. Um, and I don't know that it actually appears anywhere else. I actually tried to see if it does, and I'm, I'm not quite sure that it does. I really didn't find that it's a lot of a discussion. Um, so to me, this just seemed like a halakhic concept sort of thrown out here without any introduction. Fine, the Gemar does it all the time, but not even like a Bryce's support of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure where this came from. So I don't have anything insightful to say about this. I'm more just saying I'm really struck by a question here. I don't understand where this comes from or what it is exactly.
1: So this may be too glib, but... I think the reason it's not elsewhere is because it's here, right? There are some times where the Gemara pulls things together from all different disparate kinds of places and because there is implications for other cases and so on. And I feel like, well, this is here. Maybe it isn't anywhere else. Um, right. I think this it is have the passage to...
0: about it. Right. And then the Gemara basically goes on, you know, to basically say, is this, you know, the right? Can you even designate a residual offering in the first place. And then it sort of gets into a, uh, you know, a question about this altogether. And, and it, it kind of rejects it in the end, right. That really in the end, this type of thing, uh, you can't really do anyways. And then, and because it has to do with how much the blood would have to be, you know, the difference between what you do with the blood between a Pesach and a Shlomen. So I wonder if they don't actually go much farther with it because in the end they ultimately sort of reject it. Um, and that it's really just more a halakhic concept on the page for a solution for a particular type of problem, which is this problem of having, you know, a korban, an ownerless korban that you're not sure who it belongs to, you know, it belongs to somebody in this group of five that you can no longer use. And then the question becomes like, OK, how do you bring another korban Pesach?
1: So the other the only other very small comment I would make is um, just as a possible an alternative translation to motar here, right? The residual carbon here, I have seen it translated, and I think that I think that it, I think the contrast. I think we need both translations to really understand what's going on. Is that it's a surplus, right? Meaning it's on the one hand it's left over, but on the other hand it's extra. And I feel like that might also be one of the reasons that it's not particularly discussed elsewhere, because because for the most part, as far as we've discussed and as far, far as we know, right, the carbon pesach was. You know, the goal was to make sure there was enough to go around. And there, you know, I don't know that there was such a concern of so many being left over or extra as the case may be. Um, I just want to talk briefly about what happens immediately after this discussion, Yerden, of what you've just outlined, which is what I mentioned yesterday about the fact that there's a distinction between the way a man brings a Korban and specifically a Korban Pesach and the way a woman would bring a Korban Pesach, um, It says here, let's see, it says the Mishum Smicha. We're talking about, it's really brought as an example of a distinction between the Korban Pesach and the extra surplus residual Korban Pesach, right? Mishum Smicha, the Smicha is the laying on of hands on on the Korban, where, where the person who brings the Korban would put his hands on the animal and say, you Know this is my korban the ilu pesach lo by smicha. The korban pesach does not require smicha yadaim, that kind of laying on of hands. The ilu motar by smicha, but the residual surplus korban pesach would in fact need that laying on of hands because it basically kind of recasts the, the korban as some kind of shlamim, some kind of um, some kind of peace offering, right holiday offering and so therefore you know the question of what do you do with the motor with this particular korban becomes it has a practical implication however the gemar comes to comes further to say that that specific distinction of smicha between the korban pesach and the motor um, only really works hatana korban anashim if it's a male bringing the korban pesach korban nashim but if it's the karban of a woman, because the women did not do smiky yadaim, they did not put their hands on the animal in the same way. So then you don't have that distinction between the carbon pesach and the motar carbon pesach. Um, so you're the very stipulation there that you have, oh look, we've got a distinction between these two smikha yadaim, the answer is well, not necessarily. So and then the Gemara will go on to figure out, you know, is trying to suss out, are there any other distinctions that we can say? Where there's an obvious difference between these two, the regular carbon pesach and the residual surplus carbon pesach. Um, Dana, anything else before I pick up the new mission? No, I
0: mean, smicha is always a very interesting topic, and it's one that w- will be visited many times. And I think it's sort of the, a little bit like the metaphysical piece of the korban, like the idea of like you're sort of connecting to that animal that's going to be shachted, and who does it, and when can you do it is a halachic scenario that's going to come up many times. We'll talk about it a lot in Masachar Chagiga.
1: Indeed. Okay, now this stuff actually has three different Mishnayot on it. And we've got, I'm coming to the first one. Haomer levanav, one who says to his children, ha-reini at the Pesach al-mishiyaleh became rishon li-rushalayim. He's, he's making a condition, basically, on the Korban Pesach. Namely, he's going to shech the Korban Pesach on behalf of Whichever one of you goes to Jerusalem first comes up as part of Aliyat Taregel, Whichever one of you comes up first, meaning without identifying which of them, just you know, let's see who's gonna who's gonna win the prize, and that that will be the person who whose name it was in, even though it's not by name, right? <speaking in Hebrew> So as soon as, the, let's say, they now are having a race to get to Yerushalayim first, and the first person enters his head and most of his body into Jerusalem, meaning, I guess, through the gate of the city, then he gets that portion, meaning he gets his por- portion in the Korban Pesach, and also he can you know acquire on behalf of his siblings their portions together with him. So... You know, what this means is, and this is the key point of the Gemara, and it's really the key point of the Mishnah, that what we have here is, again, what we'll call, <clears throat> excuse me, Braira, right? Braira means that you can have a clarification that uh, who is the person in question, and in this case, it can be retroactive, right? Because, again, the condition, the, the stipulation of who is the recipient of this portion of the korban Pesach is not known until after the fact. So after the fact, Yesh Brera, meaning we we can say, look, you, we do know who it's for. It's not amorphous. It's not ambiguous. Once that um, race to Jerusalem is finished,
0: I what I also like about the Gemara here is this whole idea of you know that this actually was to encourage your children uh, to come to Jerusalem quickly. Like it was sort of a, a, almost like, but again, I would assume these were adult children. Um, but it was a, made, a way to get your kids. And then it ends with this, like, you know, interesting little story, right? Where it says, Tamanami hachi, right? It taught in a masa vekadmu banot lebanim. There was a story where a father did this, you know, said this, you know, thing, and the daughters got there before the sons. The nimsa banot rizot ubanim shfalim, right? And it was found that the daughters, <laughs> they were like, this rizot le mitzvah, they wanted to get this done quickly. And the sons were lazy. And you know, again, I, if I were to make a sheer out of everything I'm learning on Pesach, I'm so taken by the woman's role in the Korban Pesach here. It's really one of yes. the few mitzvot that feels so equitable, um, in the sense of like full woman's participation is really part of the mitzvah itself. And and even to see this description of like you know the the, the daughters getting there first uh, was very interesting.
1: Um, I'll move on to. This. Yeah, I would just I just I do want to just note that the Gemara brings that example of these you know the the parents uh, prod to the children right giving them a reason to compete to get their fast sooner or whatever um, is in fact an argument against the idea that there's Brera, right in terms of there being retroactive clarification that's not the goal then the goal is well it's whichever one of you children will get this and it appoints one of them like one of them will get the portion as opposed to it being a real solid case of Braira. I just want to, that's the, the Gemara's use of yes, the example. I think that's actually, the, no,
0: but that's an important point, right? It's a, it's sort of giving a different reason than using Breira. Um And also, I also like the idea because it fits into the theme of Pesach, which is all about like educating our children. So even right, using the Korban right. Pesach piece ahead of time to get your kids to want to come quickly. Um, I'll move on now to the next one. Right? People can always be registered for a korban pesach, as long as there's at least a kazait for each and every person to eat, and people can continue to be registered or withdraw from it until it's actually slaughtered. So I kind of looked at this like the funny way would be like you know um, maybe in our younger days and like our college days where you sort of were you know did you get a better invitation for shabbos kind of a thing. <laughs> so is it like you got a better invitation, you know, for like this group as opposed to that group? But that but you there's this energy to the Mishnah, you know, of like parsing out every single piece and also like, you know, are you in? Are you out of the group? Did you switch the group? Did you not switch the group? You know, things like that. And Rabbi Shimon Omer, no, it's until you actually throw the blood on the altar itself. And the Gemara basically goes on to discuss here. Then um, this is the only brief point that I'll make is that what he's talking about Rabbi Shimon is withdrawing from the Chaburai. So you can only join it up until the point that it's shaktan. But in terms of withdrawing from it, you have an opportunity to do that um, until it is, uh, you know, until it is actually slaughtered. Uh, sorry. Until the blood is actually, um uh the till the blood is thrown so that's really the distinction of what's being made here and that sort of makes sense like once it's killed you know once the animal is you can't really draw that group whether you eat from it okay you have a little bit more time until the blood is actually you know placed, you know thrown onto the altar itself onto the mizbeach
1: so mishnah number three is also about the group uh hamamane imo somebody who is registering for a particular Korban Pesach and then registers his friend with him, right? So that now he's basically registered two people for the same Korban Pesach. Now what happens to, with the rest of the group? So then the rest of the group can give him, meaning the person who did the including, meaning he was there and he included the additional person, they can give him just his own portion, which was you know, originally supposed to go to him anyway, and then he, the extra person, can eat from his portion, meaning the portion that was added, the portion of, let me say this right. There's too many he's. Let's give them names, right? So Ruven registers Shimon and the whole rest of the plan says, okay, you Ruven get to have yours. Now Shimon gets to have some of Ruven's, right? He can't, he doesn't he can't take from the rest of the group if the rest of the group did not allow or did not include him. He, just because Ruven registered Shimon, that doesn't mean that everybody else accepted Shimon into the Chavura. So again, Roshayin v'nei Chavura li'tein lo et shalom, they can give Ruven his, v'hu, Shimon ochel mi of Ruven's, he eats Ruven's the v'hein, the rest of everybody, ochel mi and they eat their own, uh, because they have to actually agree to include another person. And the fact that he's kind of jumped, jumped the new person on them you know, whether it's fair or not is a whole separate question, but the question is, did it work? And the answer is, it's not so simple that it worked.
0: Right. And then the Gemara here gets into a really interesting discussion that kind of takes up the rest of the page, um, which is basically like, why would this happen? Right. Why would it be, right? So they want to know. And they said, if one of the members of the group um, is, has, you know, has these, dab ya And so again, the English translation to this is sort of refined hand or nice nice hands, but it's really sort of sarcastic. And it's really talking about a person who sort of grabs food or takes too much of a portion. Maku yomru, right? What can they tell him basically to leave? Tolkha you know, go out and don't eat with us. In other words, we're gonna give you a little bit of the food, and you're gonna go and you can't eat. And and then there's like this very long discussion about this type of person who eats like this. Um, and also not just even with the Korban Pesach, but even uh, just somebody who's regularly eating and whether or not you're actually allowed to tell a person who takes a little bit too much food um, if they're really allowed to eat. And so in great Gemara fashion, it ends with a story about this, right? And so it says the following, Rabbi Papa, Rabbi Flunah, to Yoshua. Arivu um, Rifta So Rapapa Ravuna uh, the son of Rabbi Yeshua were together eating bread, right? And it says, you know, And in the you know, the time basically Huna, the son of Rabbi Yeshua, he eats one portion. Rav Rapapa eats four portions. Amarle, Ravhuna says to him He says, You should divide it and share the food equally. Amarle and Rapapa says, Kabli tun right? You accepted me to eat this meal with you, and therefore I can eat as much as we want. And that's what the line of reasoning is. The halachic line of reasoning is before. In other words, when you invite somebody to share your Chorban Pesach or another meal, you're basically saying, come as you are, and you're going to eat as much as you want. We don't sit there and parse out and say, the food needs to be exactly equal. And it's so interesting, because I would never say that at a table where I have a guest, right? Someone may want to eat more, somebody may want to eat less. And I'm sure we've all entertained people or had people at our table where Somebody really does eat a lot of food and somebody who, you know, takes like two bites and plays with the rest of it, you know, on their plate. So Rav basically saying like, no, you invited me to a meal and we're sitting together and I'm going to eat what I want to eat. It's they call Hani to So Rav then basically says all the objections, all the sources that were quoted in the Gemara beforehand, which says that the group can basically tell this person who eats too much, the glutton, you can go ahead and leave and Rapapa then responded with all the answers that they gave about wait maybe that can't be the case And then ravuna challenges him right with the third source that last source that says Khabura, right that basically if the members of this group if one of the members has these you know night these Yadav Yafot, right they can get rid of him Amale so Rav Papa says to him right hatam um, there it's a different case to Amrilay ki lit vicha. Because they say to him, when we accepted you, we did it only to like fix the sacrifice. In other words, it was so that not to let you eat any more. But basically you and I, right? Like Ravluna, we're not eating a sacrifice. So the example you're bringing is from Corbanos, but we're just having a regular meal. So then Rafuna challenges Republic again. And he says, Cibola, right? He's saying, but no, it said, even if it has a joint meal, right? Even if it's another time of year, not just the Corban Pesach, we still can kick him out. Plagley, so Rav Papa. Therefore, he divides the meal equally. Azel bahadi Ravina. So then Ravuna goes ahead and he has a meal with Ravina. Okay, and what happens? Ad Ravuna Yeshua And again, Ravuna, the son of Yeshua, he eats one portion. Acho Ravina t'minia. Right, and Rav, Ravina eats eight portions. Amar so Ravuna, sort of in an exasperated way, ends. May a puppy below khada Ravina. A hundred Papas. And not one Ravina. Now, I'm not sure totally understand this answer, but I think in a way he's sort of saying, like, I'd rather take 100 Rav Papas than, you know, eight Rav, than one Ravina. Like, now I got to go through this all again. But if I had to sort of summarize this whole page, um, there's something very human about this page, right? In other words, starting from the case of people who their Korban Pesach got mixed up to a Mishnah with a father trying to motivate his children, to the idea of people, you know, sort of registering, deregistering from the chabura to this last Mishnah, which talks about, you know, needing to have enough for everybody. But what do you do about the person who wants to take more than they're entitled to? You know, it's sort of like all of these social things that happen when we try to plan and share a meal um, and then sort of thinking through like, well, are there are halachic implications to those very human moments.
1: I like all these very human moments. I was thinking about your Dana, some point that you made just a little bit ago um, about how you know do do people divide the portions even Stephen with you know guests, and uh, of course not right, but on the other hand, I'm also always surprised when something appears to be in limited quantities which my mother would never forgive that right you should never have limited quantities of anything at your table but and then somebody but i've seen this when i've been a guest as well right and somebody who's a guest then comes and takes of the of the remaining where there isn't enough to go around for everybody else to have seconds or whatever it is and i've i'm always startled by that so on the one hand as a host i would never measure things out so evenly and on the other hand there's something kind of I don't know, the equilibrium is kind of knocked off when people don't stick to it,
0: you know, of their own accord. Yeah, no, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. And uh, it's also in contrast to me, like, remember the pages we had, we talked about the bones and the scalp and there it looked like they really divvied it up, like you almost only ate a kazayas And here it seems that it was much more of a meal. The Korban the Korban um, pasta. I'm talking about.
1: Well, I think that's what's happening here, right? You talk about the human, you, the humanity of this stuff. I think this is also the Corbin Pesach in its capacity as, as a meal. We've been seeing that for several Right, but again, now. but that one with the page <laughs> with like,
0: could you eat the thing on the scalp had much more of like a kazai's notion. Yeah. I, you know. You're yeah, right, you're but, right. Uh, okay, well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Drink us reviews us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Eat Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff and many of its human situations on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.